So we are this morning in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. He is sufficient enough to warrant giving all of ourselves to him for all of our days. The book of Hebrews is written to persons who are Christians, claim to be Christians, and have a Jewish background. So maybe they themselves were part of the Jewish ritual, the temple, maybe some of their family were, but they have this strong background, and what's happening that the writer is writing about is some people are retreating from Christianity, really retreating from Christ, or they're mixing a belief in Christ and a belief in what God had previously revealed. And so the writer of Hebrews has a whole entire, it's really a five-point sermon written like a letter of how Jesus is superior, how he's supreme compared to the other things that we put our hope and trust in. So if you think about this Hebrew Christian who's struggling with sliding back into Judaism, they might visit the temple and stand in the courts of prayer and loads of worshipers and and they're doing the divinely ordained prayers. And they're presenting the divinely ordained sacrifices performed by the divinely ordained priests and the divinely ordained structure. And what's rolling through their conscience is, is Jesus really better than this? Is he really superior to this? Do I really not need any of this any longer? Same question we face and what we'll unpack this morning. Is Jesus really sufficient? So let's begin. Here's just a road map of Hebrews where Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets. We'll look at that this morning. He's better than the angels. We'll look at part of that. He's better than Moses, better than Joshua. And then most of Hebrews is he's better than superior to the Aaron and the priestly descendants. That's, that's the book of Hebrews. It's a lot of the songs we sung this morning. So let's look, walk together. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. The writer writes, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So this first section is going to be Jesus is superior to, he's supreme compared to the prophets. Now, the prophets were the voice of God through the ages past. The law, the first five books of the Old Testament, the writings, Psalms and Proverbs, and minor prophets, major prophets. If people want to know, what does God think? What is God's direction? What does he want me to do? What would he have of me? The prophets are the primary way God communicated that. So God spoke to us through the prophets. Verse 2. Here's a comparison. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And this will be the first of many Jesus is superior to the prophets. Let's pause for a second. Look at this phrase, the last days. So, according to the writer of Hebrews, these last days were in them now. They've begun. And this is what theologians describe as, as the, called the already not yet. That the kingdom of God, the rule of God, has already begun, but it's not 
fully realized. And this diagram is pretty helpful. That at the incarnation, at the coming of Christ, kingdom of God coming here, but when he comes again, it'll be fully realized. Look at this next diagram. The salvation we experience begun will be completed at his coming. Regeneration begun will be fully realized. Will be fully remade new at his comings. Justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification. All these are already begun, but not fully yet realized. That these last days, this already not yet period, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the last and best word from the Father to us. Next part of verse 2. He's spoken by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Jesus, everything that's eternal, he's the recipient of. All these things God is wielding to make much of, to glorify Jesus in, in the age to come. He will possess it all. He gets it all. Verse 2 f- continues. He's the heir of all things. Through whom he, the Father, created the world. So Jesus is co-creator with the Father of all that there is. The prophets didn't create anything. The prophets created nothing. No leaf, no blade, no molecule of water, no grain of sand, no body part of a human Jesus is a creator. He's far superior. He's su- supreme to them. You know, we would do wise to just try once or twice in the days to come and just take 30 seconds and look upon some part of creation. Just remind yourself, Jesus has made this. He's the co-creator. Maybe you have a window in an office, a window in your house, you look upon something. Uh, look, look take, take what is usually a downer of the part of the day, taking out the trash, all right, here we go, haul the thing out there and it smells. And, and around me, I'm, I'm hauling this thing into what Jesus has made. He's the creator. The prophets are not. Verse 3, he is the radiance of, of the glory of God. This is literally, he's the brightness. He's the thing that would cause us to shield ourselves from the Father and say, it's too much, it's overwhelming, it's too glorious, it's too radiant, it's too bright. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The prophets are not. Like the light and heat that emit from the sun. If we go to seek the Father, we encounter Jesus. We don't, we don't go through the prophets to get to the Father. Verse 3 continues. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He, Jesus is the exact representation of God's character. This is, um, and we'll nerd out for a little bit in grammar. This is the uh, hapex legomena. 
Oh, yes. Like, thank you for blessing me with that phrase. Uh, This is a word that an author uses one time in all his or her writing. So, any author, everything they ever authored, and and all of you are authors. I am? You are. You you write things. You type things. So, everything from every label on every gift you ever gave, and, and card, and text, and email... Your hapex legomena would be some, one word you wrote only one time. Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, had a hapex legomena. It happens to be the longest word in the English language, although we don't really use it, so I don't really know if that counts. And I've worked really hard on pronouncing this, so I'll say it for us. It's uh, honorifica billetudinatatibus. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I worked a long time on that. Um, and here's this part of, this, of his writing. They've lived long in the alms basket of the words. I marvel thy master hath not eaten thee for a word, for thou art not so long in the head as the word I just said that I can't say without looking at my phonetic pronunciation. Thou art easier swallowed than a flap dragon. Yeah, none of us, this is not what we quote. This is not roses are red, vases are blue, or where art thou, Romeo? Because the point is, when the author of Hebrews says he's the exact imprint, no one else gets this word. Definitely not the prophets. Say, don't return back to the prophets and have your hope in them. They are not the exact imprint of the nature of God. Jesus shows us exactly who and what God is. He's the exact representation. He's not a forgery. That's what all other approaches to God are. They're in forgeries. They're imposters. That's all other attempts to reach God apart from Christ are. They're pretending. It continues said that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus not only made all there is, he is sustaining it, upholding it, supporting it. So the breath you've been taking, you've been breathing all this while, and, and air has been entering your body and, and funneling down to the smallest parts of your lungs, and, and some little dance between carbon dioxide and oxygen happened, and And he's supporting all of that. The prophets don't do that. He can do even stronger. Upholds nature by the word of power and making purification for sins. No prophet ever died for you. No prophet's blood was ever spilt and God said, that will satisfy my wrath. That will make me look upon them with kindness and love. That is what can cross this big great barrier between me and man. Christ solved our problem through cleansing with his blood. No prophet did that. Verse 3 continues, it said, And after making purification, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, the highest place of honor, the right hand of the Father. Sitting, his work is finished. Not the prophets. It says, the author is saying, don't return to the prophets. Uh, compared to Jesus, they're insignificant. In fact, all of their work, all their writing is pointing to him. 
In fact, if they knew you were choosing them over Christ, they would be appalled. So let's pause for a second and think about what might our prophets be? What might be the things that you and I have been trusting in and listening to from our earliest memories? One might be your intuition. Yes, go with your gut. What should I do? What's your gut telling you? What's your intuition? The problem with that is we don't feel perfectly. We, we, we can't navigate life with our gut perfectly. Jesus is superior to that way of knowing. What about observation? Okay, we see things, take in information, and we do that imperfectly also. The most common thing in my house is something happens, and the first messenger, so-and-so did something to me, and I take in that information, and I form a plan. I become, you know, the lawyer, the judge, the court system, all before hearing any more messengers. My observation is woefully incomplete. And yet, I can begin choosing that over choosing what Christ has said. Sometimes it's our analysis. So I, I, I take in information, now I'm going to think it through and make meaning of it. I'm going to come to some conclusions. But my conclusions are not perfect. The same way we might trust in, in these things over Christ is he really better than that? Is, is what he says really better than what I can feel or what I can see or what I can think? Let's move to the angels. We'll walk through this pretty quickly. Verse 4 continues, having become much superior to the angels. Christ is supreme compared to the angels. Why? And he has a name that's inherited that's more excellent than theirs. In their culture, angels were a big deal. A much bigger deal than our culture. In, in my house, I think we have a couple angel decorations and they go on a tree at Christmas time. There may be others, but they're so unimportant to me I just don't notice. Maybe I'll see them today. To them, angels were the closest ones beings to God they could think of. They came from the presence of God, they gave the messages of God. They were his agents in battle and Jericho and others. And yet they are not the message from God. They are just the messenger. They're just delivery. And so, when I look at my email, I'm not super excited about my email reader. I'm, it's the message that I need to delete or respond to. It says he has a much more excellent name. Verse 5. For which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So some of them were leading into Judaism, some were leading into angel worship. So why would you lean into that? Which one of them did God ever say, you are my son eternally? We're, we have this relationship, eternal fulfillment, and completion, and joy in, in a trinity. No angel ever. Verse 6, he writes, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. Now, don't lean into angel worship. Angels are the ones worshiping Jesus. We don't lean towards, depending on the prophets, the prophets were pointing to him. Verse 7 and 8. 
Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of, uprighteous, of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. The angels are temporary messengers. Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' rule is eternal. Verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. He loved righteousness. He's just. No angel ever got this kind of commendation, this kind of recognition. Verse 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. No angels did that. No angels have laid the foundation of the world. No angels are creators and sustainers of what there is. Verse 11 and 12. And they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. And like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Jesus is perfectly eternal. His creation is temporal. Last one, verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool at my feet? Not one. Not one angel. No angel has ever been honored with a name above all names. No angel will ever be the one at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He said, don't lean in, don't go to angel worship. What might our angels be? What would kind of our equivalent of that be? I think it might be Times when God works in dramatic, miraculous ways in our lives. I have a friend who they, they have a small boy, and he, he's their miracle baby. And they have other kids, but this one, lots of problems in the pregnancy, and um, you know, tons of bed rest, and NICU, and all the rest, and, and, and a big long list of, here's all the things that might be wrong with this kid. Here's all the possible things that, and none of them are. I mean, he's kind of the exception that proves the rule. And a lot of these dangerous things that could have happened. He's their miracle baby. There are some times when God provides in dramatic ways. When we ask and beg God. And he comes through. Not even just what we ask for. But more than that. And we respond in gratitude. And sometimes we just camp out in the old provision of God. And Jesus is better than that old provision. Guess God worked a miracle. It was dramatic and needed. And Jesus is supreme. He's superior to that. See, our, our friends receiving the Hebrews letter, they're distracted from Jesus by tales and experiences with angels. Uh, the return to Judaism, confused about angel worship. Is Jesus really better than all these things? We do something similar when we return to prior loves. We have a way of kind of insulating ourselves from Jesus. Let me give you one example from nature, and then I'll walk through a bunch of practical examples. So the sun, the star out in the sky, okay? I can kind of insulate myself from the sun. I can put on polarized sunglasses. Sun glare? What's sun glare? UV, I'm blocking all the UV. Or I can go inside and 
have no windows, be in the basement, and I can turn on a light. Click. Who needs the sun? I don't need you, son. Or I can put on sunscreen. I will stand out here. I will bear your full wrath and radiance. You will not defeat me. We can take those postures towards Jesus without seeing it. It gets subtle sometimes. Let me give you a couple examples. So think of a possibility as a girl who is growing in Christ and she meets a guy. And he's a great guy. Um, godly guy. And, and they begin slowly walking in life together and sharing more and more of their hopes and dreams and joys and frustration. And after time, this godly guy, his presence becomes something she really depends upon. His security he provides, she really depends upon, really where she begins to depend on, upon it too much. He's a great guy, but her whole future is leveraged on him. And she's simply forgotten that Jesus is supreme. Think of another, maybe a guy who um, is, is, uh, went to a conference or a retreat or, and God got a hold of his heart. And began to get consistently his affection and consistently his attention and a regular pattern of meeting with God and, and enjoying him. And somebody says, Hey, you ever check out that such and such show? No, I never saw it. You know, they're like, All the episodes are online. Oh, check that out. And then one episode, this is six years of this thing. And one episode becomes a hundred. And before not, there's a pattern of plunging into entertainment. And he's simply forgotten that Jesus is supreme. Think of another who's been working and this person's faithful, competent performance at work's been recognized and they've been elevated in a promotion. And it's a good opportunity. It's actually a great opportunity. It could lead to bigger things. And pretty soon, all their efforts being kind of plunged into work. Where to, when their mind is supposed to be free time, winding down. They're so spinning, winding about work. And it's not that it's evil or horrible. It's just that it's replacing what previously they were focused on. God, I need your grace to do this. They're just working on their own. They've forgotten he's supreme. I think of another who, a retiree, and, and she could be uh, really enjoying this time of life. Um, Enjoying this season and really excited for vacation this summer. Be at the same beach house she'd been at for almost 30 years. And then she gets the news from one of her sons, he's not coming. And, you know, him and, and the grandkids, they've got some other, uh, you know, youth, youth sports stuff they're going to do. And he's going to ruin the perfect summer. This record of 20-some years in a row. And great memories. And, and she's kind of slowly forgotten that Jesus is supreme. Or maybe mission trips, service trips. If I could only get back there and, and experience God the way I experienced him when I was so desperately depending upon him, then things would be right. And they've forgotten that Jesus is supreme. That, that was just an instrument. Or maybe someone's favorite communicator or preacher. If only I could listen to him again. They've forgotten that Jesus is supreme. Maybe favorite artist or worship band. If only I could see them live or, or, or just take a long time and, and um, let their music move me. They've forgotten that Jesus is the one that's supreme. Or a faithful friend. If only I could talk to her. 
again. If only I could just unload to her again. Forgetting that Jesus is supreme. All these things are instruments in God's hands that he uses to kind of do surgery on our, on our hearts and our lives. But we too easily depend upon them over Christ. And we forget that God is the one who's using them to reproach us and to rebuke us and to heal us and to thrill us or direct us and convict and provide. This is most easily seen when we become frustrated, when we become upset, when we become anxious. We have the greatest opportunity to see if we're shifting like our Hebrew friends here. Let me give you a personal example. So one of the things I do not enjoy is traffic. Like being stuck in a car behind a bunch of other cars and then you pull up your phone and go, why is this all red? Siri, why are you not helping me? Uh, I just don't like it at all. I, I also, and this is just, this is a free pass, you're absolved of this sin and this is you. I also don't like it if uh, I'm at Wawa and someone pulls up and they get gas and then they leave their car there and they go inside and they get their hoagie, you know, and they get their coffee and I just don't like that. I said that way and I, 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 I really don't like that at all. Now part of it really is that what I really do like or what I really treasure is approval from other people and, and I really treasure punctuality. So now I'm stuck in this traffic and I'm not going to get there on time and, and so I'm not going to be punctual and this, whatever measuring stick I'm using, they're not going to like me as much. So whatever is the thing that gives you common angst, and there's many more than this for me, whatever makes you anxious or upset or frustrated, underneath that, there's something that you really want, that you feel like you must have. Here's how we lose the grip of those things. It's really Hebrews chapter 1. So let me walk this through. So punctuality and approval. I'm stuck in traffic. So Blake, here's what you're going to say. Punctuality and approval. When were you ever the heir of all things? When was punctuality and approval? When was, whenever was the whole universe being funneled to punctuality and approval? Oh, never. Christ. Punctuality and approval. Did you create the world? Oh, no. Punctuality and approval. Do you rev- are you the radiance of the glory of God? Do you reveal the awe-striking glory of the Father? No. Punctuality and approval. Are you the exact imprint of his nature? Are you the perfect revealer of the character of God? Not a chance. Punctuality and approval. When did you ever make purification for my sin? Never. Punctuality, approval. When did it ever sit down at the right hand of the Father? It's worth perfectly completed never. Why would I serve these heart idols? Why would I not see that Christ is supreme, that he's better? I subtly, I'll say we subtly, get dragged into this. So whatever the Spirit is now landing on you, the things that upset you most, what's really beneath that? What, 
What are you really chasing that's inferior to Christ? And maybe it is that I feel like what I really want is not Christ, and I, I can lose my grip on that. And then what happens is there's a peace that enters. It's really kind of unexplainable to the watching world. And then it might be that someone asks you, what's this unanxiousness, unfrustrated? How, how do you not get so upset by this? And you kind of, I, I don't know, I mean, I just like can remind myself that these things didn't do anything for me. I should remind myself that being on time and having nothing get in your way, that that never saved me, never created me, never did a thing for me. And so it's losing its grip on me. It may be that you do more evangelism in the days and weeks and months to come by pursuing his peace and pursuing a heart that says Jesus is supreme. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, you, uh, you and your mercy, uh, you give us texts like this that, that help us. Because so often when our dreams are delayed, when our dreams are dashed, we doubt you. We doubt your goodness. We doubt Jesus' worth. And it's not because your goodness has changed or Jesus' worth has changed. Uh, we are quick to misinterpret. Every diagnosis that brings discouragement and we return and beg you for help and health. You're gracious to give them, but you're most gracious for us to see that Jesus is supreme. Lord, it's not that the things, you even say the things we want and desire are not bad in themselves. They're just inferior. And when we grip them too tightly, we depend on them too much, they get in the way, they insulate us from seeing Jesus and from loving you. Would you restore us to true, full health, true peace, Maybe they'll speak this truth into our lives. And would this cause us to run to Jesus? As the writer of Hebrews says, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. As it changes our hearts where we hold him as supreme. And, and you get glory from this and we get satisfaction from you. And we feel like our lives are really aligned rightly. We ask these things, Lord, for you to please do them in these days to come. Amen.